Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I remember very clearly that Saturday morning. Lori and I were headed to a small church for an adoption training day. We were headed there to gather uh, with other adoption families that were going to enter into an adoption pool at some point, and possible birth mothers would look at our uh, at our lives and look at these books that we made with pictures of us and highlights of our lives and they would choose from us so that we could parent their child. And we gathered there with all these prospective adoptive families and, and there were tables in the room and we were getting coffee and treats that morning and I remember something happening within my head and my heart that wasn't very Jesus-y. I started looking around and I started sizing everyone up. I'm gonna be honest with you. I started sizing everyone up. I looked across the room and I'm like, oh, that, that couple looks like a little older than us. And maybe like they may already have kids because they look tired. So they probably already have kids. And so um, like we might get a kid before they get a kid. And I kept scouring the room and then I saw them. Adam and Sophia Hebner, the most beautiful couple I had ever seen in my entire life. Adam, Adam, his name literally means man, the man, right? <laughs> Adam, dark complexion, dark eyes, chiseled man, right? Eloquent in his speech, strong in stature. He had the five o'clock shadow that he had just grown that morning, I am sure of. And Sophia, Beautiful South American permatan. I mean, she looked like she should be uh, ruling a kingdom and having a, 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 a vassals work for her or something like that, right? And I, and I thought to myself, they're going to get a kid before we do. Come to uh, get to know them a little bit throughout the day, found out they lived in the mountains, found out that they had a pool inside of their house, and I thought they're for sure going to get a kid before we're going to get a kid. And the end of the story is this. They did. They did. <laughs> I want to start this morning by making a confession to you. I'm gonna be honest with you and I'm gonna ask you to be honest with me today. 
James has not let us off the hook thus far. Uh, his teachings have been hard. Um, and this one is no exception to the rule. So I'm gonna start by being honest. I am so judgmental. I am so judgmental. Uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I look at people, I assess people, I interact with people, and there's something within me that is constantly judging them. I'm so judgmental. I'm not talking about discerning. Discernment is a different thing. We don't have time for discernment today. Discernment is what scripture explains as using your wisdom about other people, about situations. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about snap judgments. I'm, I'm talking about making judgments about people that I don't even know if I actually know what I know about those people. I'm so judgmental. Here's my question for you. How judgmental are you? Uh, yes, okay. Thank you for your honesty. I'm honest, you're honest. How judgmental are you? If you're uh, online uh, and you're brave in the chat or in the comments, give yourself a score. What are you? Are you a one? You're like, never judgmental. Nope, not at all. Are you like a 10 and a half, maybe 11 on most days? You're super judgmental. Where are you on that spectrum? If I was gonna rate myself, I'd probably give myself about a seven. Honestly, seven or eight. You're like, wow, that's problematic, Pastor. I'm like, I know, I know. Welcome to the club, right? I mean, how judgmental are you? Some of you are like, I'm not that judgmental. And here's what you're doing in your head. You're doing gymnastics already, okay? What you're saying is, I'm not ju as judgmental as that other person I know, which is a judgment on that other person. <laughs> okay, let me give you an example. This will be fun. <laughs> We're gonna have no opinions on this, right? <laughs> So some of you see somebody like this and you have a judgment about them, right? You think something about them. You probably think they're, they, they voted a certain way. You probably think they think a certain way. Some of you see people like this. <laughs> and some of you are judgmental. You're like, hey man. Uh, I'm not sure that's how you're supposed to work. Some of you are really judgmental of this guy, right? Let's be honest. And then some of you are like, here I am, I stand and can do no other, and we're judgmental of those people as well. And it, it's funny, but it's not, right? It's funny because it's true, right? It's funny because it's true. We make snap judgments about silly things like masks, okay? We make snap judgments and then we start putting people in categories. We start telling a story that may or, not, may or may not be true about that person. Church, this has no place in our church. If that is you, the door's right there. Don't let it hit you on the way out. We have no room for that in this place. We are called to a higher standard than that church. And I am so saddened by this fact. Here's the reality. We have a deserved reputation as Christians, and here it is. Christians are so judgmental. That is a deserved reputation. I grew up in the church, and I just want to tell you, like, we are. When you say, oh, no, 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 those are just those non-Christian people saying that about us. No, 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 listen, I grew up in this church. I grew up in the church. We are are 
so judgmental. Let me give you some examples. These will be a little more fun. I'm gonna go from fun to heavy to fun today, okay? I'll give you a little bit of rest. All right, here we go. So um, here's how Christians gossip, okay? Because gossip is written in the list of sins that will send you straight to hell. Did you know that? Like in Paul's list, gossip is right up there with adultery, okay? But Christians love to do this. We're like, hey, we should really be praying for... Pauline, right? Well, why should we be praying for Pauline? Well, I heard that Pauline is kind of struggling with some things. Well, what is she struggling? This is what Christians do. It's just pure gossip. But we like to masquerade it as a prayer request. Here's another example. I dressed nice for you today, right? Okay. I didn't dress nice for God today. But I grew up in churches that looked at other people and said, boy, that person didn't bring their best to church today. And God wants you to bring your best to church. That was a judgment statement. By the way, that's not in the Bible. Never heard that verse. I've, I've read it from cover to cover multiple times. This whole idea of dressing up really, really nice for church, I can't find it. In fact, sometimes in here it says that women shouldn't wear jewelry, but y'all are wearing jewelry this morning. Okay, you missed that one. See, I I think we just need to own it, church. That's why I titled the sermon, Christians are so judgmental. I think we need to own this this morning. And I think we can do better. I think we can do better better. And James wants to help us this morning. So turn with me to James 2, 1 through 13. James 2, 1 through 13 says this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith And to inherit the kingdom, he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are are exploiting you. It It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they, is it not? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you really belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and just stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
There's a a non-biblical quote that I think James would agree with that I think sums up this entire section. And, And it's just a short little quote that you've heard before. It goes like this. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a book by its cover, which is harder than we think it is. It's harder than we think it is. See, we are pre-wired. In our, in our wiring itself, we are pre-wired to judge. I wanna talk about a couple examples of this that have been studied at length scientifically, okay? So this morning I stand before you in nice clothes and I have a navy blazer on with a light blue shirt, Do you know why politicians wear navy blue and blue shirts quite often? Do you know why? It's the most trustworthy of colors. Did you know that? This is a scientific study. It's the most trustworthy of colors. So if I get in front of you and I'm wearing a blue blazer and a blue shirt, what I'm telling you, and you don't even know it, it's in your subconscious, is that I am trustworthy. You should listen to what I have to say. And if I wanted to power up and throw on a red tie, then I'd be ready to run for president, right? Because red is a color of power. It's a color of power. And if a woman wears it, guess what? It's a seductive color. It's a seductive color. So uh, those of you who are wearing red, you're like, I didn't think about that this morning, sorry. I'm here for Jesus. Okay, I get it. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Right? Orange is an abrasive color. Think about it. Like you either like orange or you're like, don't like orange at all. Not my favorite color, right? Green is a soothing color and it gets harder than that. So I stand before you and I wear this and you're like, oh, he's pretty trustworthy. And he's standing above you. I'm standing above you. I'm, I'm the authority here, right? Like th- that, that's, what, that's what this is telling you. I'm the authority right now, right? But not only that, I'm six foot three, and if I was wearing my cowboy boots, I'd be six foot four, okay? So, really interesting study done by Malcolm Gladwell in his book called Blink. It talked about Fortune 500 companies and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and these are just a simple statistic. So, so in our general population, about 14% of people are above six foot tall, just 14% are above six foot tall. But of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, almost 60% are above six foot. (laughs) CEOs of Fortune 500 companies at a rate of 60% are above six foot tall. You don't even think, you don't think about this, right? It just happens in in a blink. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm standing on a stage. I'm six foot three. I've got a big voice, big personality. Uh, some of you are trying to figure out my age. Some of you know because we did a little birthday party. You're like, is he a millennial or not? Right? Because I got some opinions on millennials and non millennials, right? Right? He's a male, not a female. He is white right? I mean, all of these things go into how we think about things. And for you to pretend that it doesn't affect you is just lying to yourself. 
You are lying to yourself if you don't understand that we are, we are pre-wired for this and that we have to work very, very hard not to be judgmental and not to show favoritism. We cannot judge a book by its cover. We cannot judge a book by its cover. Over and over in scripture, there were moments where people judged a book by its color and it didn't work out well. There was a guy by the name of Saul. He was literally a head taller than everybody else. Do you know how his kingly reign ended? With him wandering around in the wilderness, prowling around like an animal because he lost his mind. That's how his reign ended because everybody wanted him because he was a head taller than everybody else. Don't judge a book by its cover. When Samuel came to see all of uh, the sons uh, of Judah, he said, hey, hey, who, who do you got that I can look at? Who can I talk to uh, that might be the next king that I might anoint him? And one by one, right? The, the, he, he just brought him, brought the kids, brought the kids, brought the kids, brought a son, brought a son, brought a son. And, and time and time again, he said, nope, nope, nope. And they got to the end and there was David. And he's like, ah, you don't want to talk to David. David's kind of, he's like the small squatty little guy. He's strong, but he's small and squatty. And he's out there with the sheep. You don't want to bother with David. Don't judge a book by its cover. Instead, what we need to do is what James did. We need to pay attention to a big brother's lesson. See, Bob touched on this. James walked in the footsteps of Jesus. He was Jesus' little brother. And so he heard the teachings and wisdom of Jesus. And he took especially one of these lessons to heart. And the lesson was this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in the world around us, there has been the growth of a philosophy of humanism. And humanism uh, is birthed out of the philosophy of Fred Frederick Nietzsche, who would say, God is dead. God is dead. He, he doesn't, we don't need him anymore. He, he's just a crutch. We don't need faith or religion anymore. Just messes things up. And what you look around and see in the culture around us is the growth of humanism. We get rid of God. But what happens when that happens is that there is a, always a power vacuum. There has to be authority in our lives. There has to be someone who says what is right and what is wrong, how we should conduct ourselves, how should we should live our lives. And, and for a culture as a whole that would say, God is dead, we've moved on from God, we have now become humanistic in our thinking, it should not surprise us that we then escalate humans to the highest position. And we say, whatever is good for the humans is the most important thing. And one of the things that I can see growing in the midst of us is this idea of fairness and equality. This idea of fairness and equality. You can see it bubbling up all around you that the best we can do is we can make humans equal. We can make everything fair for humans because humans are of the highest value. They're of the highest standard and that's the best that we can do. And I wanna say this to you, church. Equality's not bad, but it's not enough. Hear me right. 
Equality's not bad, but it is not enough. James knew that what was enough is to love our neighbors as ourselves, which is not about being fair and it's not about being equal. It's about so much more than that. See, here's, here's what I mean. So that person who, who thinks differently than you, they have reasons they think differently than you. They have, they have a story. They have um, hurts. They have sins. Uh, they have a different genetic code than you. They have, they have all these different aspects of who they are. Are and, and yet we so quickly generalize them and, and put them into this category, but they're so much more complex than that. You're more complex than that. If we went around the room and told our stories this morning, how complex would our stories be? How complex would our lives be? Like, did you pick the family you were born into? Did, did you have any say about that? I didn't have any say about that. It just happened to me. But, but we, we think things like this. Well, they must be poor because they don't know how to manage their money. Are you sure? Are you sure 1% of all the world's wealth? Are you sure? You're like, oh, I'm not wealthy. Yes, you are. Did you drive her in a car? Yep. Do you have a roof over your head? Yep. When you did your doo-doo, did it go away from you? Yes, it did. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, right? Most of the world doesn't live like that. Most of the world woke up wondering if they could get clean water this morning. And are you so belligerent? Are we so belligerent that we would just minimize this? And we say, oh, those poor people are poor because they deserve to be poor. Or, or flip it. If you're poor and you say, hey, those wealthy people, I know how they work. They swindle people, they're greedy, they don't love Jesus, they just pretend to. That's why they're wealthy. Haven't you just judged them as, well, we are all guilty of this and we cannot do this, church. We need to love each other like we love ourselves. Here's what we need to do. We need to celebrate who you are. And you need to celebrate who others are. What, what if this is the way we dealt with things? What if we looked at somebody and said, well, you are a complex person made in the image and the likeness of God himself. Let that sit on you for a minute. There is not a human being who does not represent the image and likeness of God. Not the most vile of people. Every single one is made in the image and the likeness of God. What if you treated every single person as if they were an image bearer of God? Do you think we could do better than equality? Do you think we could do better than fairness? I think we could. It was inauguration day for Barack Obama. Hold your judgments, okay? <laughs> I 
I made this one, I made this sermon extra spicy. Okay. <laughs> this is inauguration day for Barack Obama. And one of the things that traditionally uh, presidents do is they actually go to church on the morning of their inauguration. Most of them go to St. John's. Um, and so in St. John's on the morning of Barack Obama's uh, inauguration, um, many dignitaries and, and some of the most powerful people uh, in our country and in the world uh, went uh, to, to worship together. And on that morning, there's been a uh, pastor by the name of Andy Stanley, he pastors North Point Community Church, was asked to speak at that morning service. And he got up in front of everyone and he said this, what do you do when you discover that you're the most powerful person in the room? What do you do when you discover that you're the most powerful person in the room? He went on to teach about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. How Jesus didn't lord it over his disciples. How he didn't rule with an iron scepter, but instead he took on the very form of a servant. And as he closed his sermon, he said to them this, what you do when you find yourself to be the most powerful person in the room is you find a way to serve everyone else in that room. Love your neighbor as yourself. And don't stop there. Go to the heart of this lesson. And the heart of this lesson is this. Mercy wins. Mercy wins. James wants to be more specific than just love your neighbor as yourself. He wants to tell you we should be those who are the most merciful. We are the ones who should pass judgment the last. We are those who should not practice favoritism because mercy wins. Judgment and justice is given to those who deserve it. But mercy is given to the one who doesn't deserve it. And James says, we are called to be those who are merciful. He's echoing Jesus' words here about forgiveness. He's saying to them, listen, if you're judgmental and you're not merciful, guess how you're going to be treated as well? With great judgment. But you haven't been treated like that. You've been given mercy. And so what you should also give is mercy because mercy always wins. The simple verse at the end is this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I, I want to I spend uh, the rest of my time just talking to kind of uh, two groups of folks in the room. Uh, those who, who need mercy and those who need to give mercy. Those of us who need mercy and those who give mercy. And here's how I want to, here's how I want to tell you that. 
there was a story that Jesus told. It's a story of a servant who owed his master lots and lots of money and had no way to repay back that debt. And, and so the master of the house said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call all my debts into account. And so uh, this servant went into the master's place and, and, and he threw himself before the master. And he said, master, I can't, I can't pay you back. The debt is too great. There's, there's just no way that I'm gonna be able to repay all that I owe. And the master paused for a moment because he, he could have just thrown him in jail. But instead he said, I will give you mercy. And he forgave his debt. That man went out of that house rejoicing. And as he was walking on his way home, he saw a man who owed him a few dollars. And he said to that man, you, you owe me. You owe me. You should pay me what you owe me. Throw him in jail. He owes me something. The master of the house heard this story. He said, bring back that evil servant so that I might throw him in jail because I gave mercy. And if I give mercy, shouldn't mercy be given? There are those of you who have been judged and hurt by the church, and I'm so sorry. There are, you, there are those of you who are online right now, and you don't even want to darken the doors of this church because you think a lightning bolt's going to come from the sky. You think somebody's going to judge you before you even get to your seat. I want you to understand that mercy is offered to you. That Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took on the very form of a servant, gave himself up to even death, even death on a cross, that we may be free. Mercy is freely extended to you. And because it's extended to you, there are others in the room and online that I want to talk to. You're not merciful. You're not loving others as you love yourself. You are not embracing the way of Jesus. And you're hurting people. And you're causing a bad name for the name of Jesus. And you have been given mercy. How dare you? You have been given mercy, so you should give mercy, mercy upon mercy upon mercy. You should be the most merciful of all, or you don't understand. You don't understand the weight of what Jesus did upon that cross for you, and you need to go back to that cross. And you need to understand the pile of debt that is laying at the foot of that cross. And you need to see the blood dripping off the body of Jesus onto those sins to forgive you for those sins. You need to recognize how broken, how wrecked, how messed up your life is and how much you needed Jesus too. And you need to extend that to others because mercy 
triumphs over judgment. Jesus. You are so merciful. Mercy upon mercy. We don't, we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Not the best of us in the room have earned your love, God. And yet, see what great love you have lavished upon us that we are called children of God and that is who we are. God, we need your forgiveness. As a church, we need your forgiveness. We need your forgiveness for our shallow judgmentalism. We need your forgiveness when we've spoken out of turn and we haven't listened well. We need your forgiveness for where we're arrogant and prideful and where we hold people to standards that we don't even keep ourselves. God, I just pray mercy over our church. I pray mercy over those gathered in these seats. I pray mercy gathered over those watching online, that our homes would be marked by mercy, that our lives would be marked by mercy, that our church may be marked by mercy, that our cities might be marked by mercy, that the world may be marked by your mercy and your love. Hallelujah. For your cross, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.